This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Another episode of Shooting It Straight with myself, Justin Jackson, and my man, John. Uh, sorry if you're listening. It sounds like I've got tissues stuck up my nose. I'm kind of going through uh, whatever my kids had over Christmas break. Uh, I'm trying to kind of get over that. Um, plus, if you've never been to Mexico City, this the air out here is about as thin as you can possibly get. So um, bear with me as we go through this. Um, obviously, happy and Merry late Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody listening. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that's a very important time to hang out with the family and spend time with them and enjoy that time. So I hope everybody had a great time. Um, before we start, I just want to give a shout out to Johnny T-Shirts. If you need any gear, um, any UNC apparel, they're, they're the place to go. And also Congruity HR, where Tar Heel fans can get a free payroll and HR needs assessment whenever you need it. So shout out to them. Uh, for sponsoring this video. And I think, uh, John, we've got a, we haven't had much much action when it comes to the Tar Heels lately. So I think we got a good episode of just questions and mailbag. Um, so yeah, you go ahead and start us off with whatever we, whatever the fans and stuff like that have for us today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a special edition of the shooting it straight podcast. It's the mailbag episode. We took questions from the inside Carolina message boards, but if you're listening and you don't have a subscription, you can also always tweet us questions or email us or find Justin after a game and yell at him and and give him a question. Then we'll record it and we'll take it on the podcast. We have a few questions today. Um, We're going to start off with this one uh, from Josh 32303. He asks, who is the most underrated player you've played against? Justin, what do you think? Most underrated player. Are we keeping it college? Let's go. We want to do it. Let's go all basketball. 
Uh, any yeah. any basketball okay. you've played, high school, college, pros. Most underrated player. That's a good one. Um, probably the most underrated player that I've played against. There's a lot of them, y'all. Um, I'd probably say Drew Holiday. Uh, Drew Holiday. Either Drew Holiday or Derek White. And they're both on the same team this year, which is crazy. But um, they both do so many things that you might not see necessarily in the box score. But the effect that they have on a game uh, is, I think, a big reason why the teams that they play on have success. Uh, they can do basically everything. Obviously, Drew is an unbelievable defender. So is D. White. But, you know, if you need them to score, they can go out and get 20, 30, whatever you need them to do. And obviously, you know, they're getting paid and playing the minutes. And, you know, I think they still get the recognition. Um, but I think those two guys for me that I played with were very underrated, uh, at least in my eyes. Nice. Next one here is from Ryan Gentry. Nine five seven. What do you think are reasonable expectations for this UNC basketball team the rest of the way? We've been talking about it all season, kind of what this ceiling is for for this UNC team. They're currently eight and three. They've notched some quality wins over Tennessee, Arkansas, Oklahoma. Justin, as you look ahead to the rest of the season, what do you think fans should expect from this team? I think, like we talk about, you know, each week. I think. This team's ceiling is actually very high, in my opinion. I think it's very high for a couple different reasons. I think college basketball this year isn't necessarily – there's not a clear-cut favorite in this college basketball. So I think the field is wide open, and I think this team has all the pieces that it needs to make a run and win a lot of games. Um, I think the way that RJ is playing, you know, we're going to continue to hit on that. The way he's playing is unreal. We haven't seen this really since – probably T hands. Um, so the way he's playing obviously has this team going at a crazy high rate when it comes offensively. Uh, but then I think, like I talked about with the pieces, Harrison Ingram is, if he plays as consistent as he, as he has played, you know, through the non-conference play, I think they can make and win a ton of games in the ACC, make a run in the ACC tournament, um, get a great seed, which is huge, getting a good seed in the, in the NCAA tournament and hopefully get the right matchups. And I think they can make a, a really good run. Um, so I think, you know, you look at all these pieces. Now it all goes back to if these guys play consistently. If Cormac is hitting shots consistently, this team is a totally different team. If he's not, then it's hard to find shots. Um, if Mondo is playing as dominant as we've seen him at times before in the past, then this team is a totally different team. If he's not, and he's missing bunnies around the rim and, you know, he's allowing people to just front him or, you know, take him out of the game, then this team looks totally different. So it's really up to each individual player that, you know, that plays throughout, you know, throughout the game and throughout the season to take that as an opportunity and a responsibility that I need to do my job for this team to be able to be at its best. So me personally, I think that, you know, I think that the expectations can be high, but at the same time, it's it's on the players to, you know, to do their jobs whenever it's time for them to do their jobs. We were just talking a little bit there about a tournament run for UNC this season. I want to take you back, Justin, to your UNC career and, and your <laughs> tournament run in 2017. This is a question from Tar Heel Fan for Life. 
In the Arkansas game in the 2017 second round, UNC was down by five at the under four TV timeout. What was going through your mind in that moment, if you remember that tournament game, Justin? It's funny that this question comes up because I literally was just talking, I think yesterday, one of my coaches is from Arkansas, and we were talking about how, uh, you know, our record, I want to say, was 2-0 and against Arkansas. But that game, Arkansas should have beat us. I mean, they they were better than us in almost every, you know, every situation. Uh, we just made some big-time plays down the stretch. Now, I think it's still controversial whether there was a travel that wasn't called at the end of that game uh, that allowed us to get a putback. But at the same time, we made plays at the end of the game whenever we needed to make it. But now that we're out of the situation, I will tell you that I was definitely a little nervous. There was, uh, you know, there was definitely, you know, are we going to be able to pull this out? Because like I said, they were playing at a at a high rate and they had some good players. I mean, Bobby Portis is in the NBA now for the Bucks. Uh, they had some guards that were really good. Um, and so it was, uh, it was definitely, it was definitely an interesting game. But, you know, you also have to, you got to play all 40 minutes. And we were able to, you know, finish that game out. Those last things, you know, like in the question, we had four minutes left and we were down five and we ended up pulling that thing out. We had some pressure going, I think. We had some press. Um, you know, some guys made some huge shots. Some guys made some big plays. And so, uh, you know, we were lucky to make it out of there. But that was probably, honestly, I mean, obviously everybody can look at the Kentucky game when Luke hit the shot. But that was probably the one game where we probably deserved to lose that we were end up that we were able to pull it out. So, you know, sometimes you just you got to get lucky a little bit on a tournament run. So, we definitely did that game. Yeah, I was reading the AP story from that game this morning, just prepping. Roy Williams said after the game, "I don't mind saying I feel a little lucky every now and then. I knock in a long putt too." So that's kind of a classic <laughs> quote. And it shows, you know, that was a long tournament run, six games, and game two of six was maybe. Uh, the the most stressful or the most uh, dangerous uh, for UNC to lose that one. Let's stick with the theme of the 2017 team. This is a question from B Smitty two three two two. A lot of number uh, listeners here. <laughs> you're, you're twisting my words here, making me read all these numbers. If you had to take one player from the 2017 team and put them on this year's team to make them a legit contender, who would you choose and why? And yes, you can choose yourself. <laughs> That's, I mean, I think if you ask every basketball player if they can choose themselves, I think they'll choose themselves. Um, I think if you were to throw me onto this team, um, that means basically Cormac would probably be coming off the bench, which wouldn't be a bad, would not be a bad six man coming off the bench. Uh, to be honest, I'd probably enjoy playing with a guy like Elliot or Harrison, just being able to, you know, create and make plays, you know, for me to be able to, you know, do whatever I need to do offensively. But, you know, when I look at our 2017 team, I think an Isaiah Hicks would be really good for this team. Um, Isaiah was very underrated for, for us from the standpoint of he could do so many things. He was so versatile. Um, he was athletic. He was physical. He could play on the perimeter defensively. He could guard. Um, so I think if you were to put Isaiah, now it would go back to the two big lineup. Um, but I think if you played Isaiah next to Mondo, 
I think it would open things up a little bit more for Mondo too. And um, I think, you know, a lot of times with Isaiah, he would probably get the matchup that he could exploit a little bit more just athletically. And it would open up things so much more for this team. Um, So I'd probably go Isaiah just because that's kind of the one spot that this team is kind of lacking when it comes to like a real four man um, or another real big next to Mondo. So I think, I think Isaiah would be a great, a great addition to the team. I like that answer. We're going to stick with the theme of talking about the 2017 team. And this is a, this is a tough question, Justin. So I'm just going to warn you before I put it up here. This is from UNC secondary break. Who should have been the 2017 final four most outstanding player? This has been a big talking point on the message boards recently. Joel Berry or Kennedy Meeks with the benefit of hindsight in a few years. Uh, what do you think? Who should have been uh, that most outstanding player? You know what? Uh, I think the easy answer for me is that Joel already had the year before. He already had, I think, what, the Final Four. Um, he made some Final Four team that would have put his jersey in the Raptors already. So because Joel already had his jersey in the Raptors, I'm going to go with Kennedy. Um but now, if you really look at the games, obviously Joel had an unbelievable, you know, Final Four, especially in the championship game. He was really the only one that was really hitting shots. But what Kennedy did, especially in that Oregon game, basically won us that game. And you know, you go into a game against that Gonzaga team that was that was the biggest college basketball team I had played against. You know, you had Zach Collins, you had big. Uh, what was his name? Karnowski or something like that. Um, you had Jonathan Williams. You had uh, Tilly that was there. So you had four legitimate bigs that he had to deal with. Obviously him, Tony, you know, Isaiah, all those, all the bigs we had. But you had those kind of bigs that he had to handle and deal with all game long against Gonzaga. So I think, me personally, I think Kennedy was very deserving of getting that uh, MOP. I think he was very deserving of giving getting his jersey up in the rafters. Um, and it makes it easier the fact that Joel already was going to get his jersey in the rafters because of how he played the year before. So I'm going to go with Kennedy in this situation. Just from that standpoint, I think both of them were unbelievable for us and very deserving. But I'm going to go with Kennedy on that one. I like it. Let's take this scenario here. Pretend the aliens are invading us and they say, Justin, you can take yourself and you can add four UNC players. This is past, current rosters and how they were playing when they were at UNC. So, you know, kind of keep that in mind in terms of players who got better once they got to the NBA. But make a starting five, including yourself, to Mm. play against a group of aliens for the fate of the world. This question is from Brooke. Who comes to mind, Justin? And you have to build the team a little bit around yourself because you got to be the showcase player now in this game. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm going to start off uh, just from what I watched growing up. I'm going to start out with Ty Lawson as the PG. Um, I think his speed and his ability to change the game from that standpoint was just – we haven't really seen it. I mean, obviously, you could put Raymond Felton in there, but I think Ty Lawson was even faster than Ray. So – I think I'm going to go with Ty. Um, 
if I'm going to have to be the focal point because you got to, there's a lot of UNC greats. So I could easily throw MJ on there, T hands, but those guys would for sure be the focal point. So, um, I'll go with, I'm gonna go with Danny green as my two. Uh, I think I'm going to keep it with, I'm like, we're going to go small. I think we're going to go small. We're going to go Theo as my four. I'm just going to give him a little shout out just because uh, I'm currently playing with him and hopefully it helps, you know, in games going forward that we're, that we play and hopefully he feels a little more confident passing me the ball. So I'm going to go Theo as my four. It will, we can play three or four. It doesn't really matter. And as my five man, ooh, that's tough. It feels like you need a defensive focused center, yeah. someone who's going to get a lot of I'm, boards, block shots. You know what? I might go if we're going to go with that. I'm going to keep it interesting. I'm either going to go. Let's just go. We're going to go. We're going to go top seven. Okay, we're going to go top seven. Yep. Starting five is way too hard. I'm gonna go. Ooh. I'm gonna go with Brendan Haywood. Okay. As my five, like you said, defensively, obviously, offensively, he was really good too. But defensively, he was so big, can block shots, plug plug up that paint a little bit. Um, and coming off the bench, I'm gonna have John Henson. Mm. I have John coming off the bench, and then I'm going to have. What am I going to have? I need another shooter with me. So I'm going to have Wayne Ellington. I'm going to have Wayne Ellington coming off the bench. Um, so that's my seven. Obviously, you know, fans don't tear me down for not including <laughs> some of these greats. But if we're going to – I have to be realistic. If I'm going to be the focal point of this team, then I can't can't bring some of these greats on the team. So yeah. I think question- that's the seven I'm going to go with. The question wasn't all-time best UNC starting five. You had to make a basketball team right there. Um, you have to include some strength because otherwise you and Theo are going to be guarding a four and they're going to be backing exactly. you down in the post. So I like that team. Ellington off the bench too. That's a good one. Him and Danny Green, they're just going to be firing away, shooting threes, and exactly. they're going to outshoot some teams. I, I like that. Um, let's stick with talking about uh, teammates of yours and, and fellow UNC basketball players. This is a question from Sweet Pass. They ask, since you played with Marcus Page and now he is the director of team and player development, what do you think he brings to the UNC program that may not be obvious to the fan base? I think he brings, that's a great question too, because people don't see, we talk about all the time, we don't see what the behind the scenes are and what the off-season workouts are like and all that kind of stuff. I think for one, he brings a player perspective that played a lot more recently than some of the the coaches that are on the staff. I think that always helps with, you know, with current players. I think they always respond better and listen a little bit better to guys who have, you know, played more recently. So I think that's one aspect that he brings that you might not necessarily see. I think from player development standpoint, I think Marcus really knows what he's doing and he does his research and watches his film and really is able to, accommodate each and every player according to their strengths. And I think that's huge when it comes to player development. You don't just have a basic outline of a you know player development schedule and each and every player, you've got RJ doing the same exact things that, you know, 
Harrison does. And you've got Mondo doing the same things that Steph Tribble does. You know, like you don't – you've got it dedicated to each and every player and to what they need to work on and what their strengths are. And I think that's what Marcus brings to this team. And I think that he's – his ability to do that, obviously RJ is, you know, he's already really good. But I think the reason you're kind of seeing this jump is – Marcus, from his player development standpoint, from the confidence that he's fed RJ, from you know maybe the talks or the film that he's watched with RJ throughout the offseason into the season, I think that's a testament to how good Marcus is in his role right now. And then obviously you add skill that RJ has and the ability for him to go out there and execute everything that he's doing. Um, but I think that's kind of the two things that he brings. And I think Fans don't really realize it. They just think, oh, it's Marcus Page, how great he was at UNC. That's cool to have him on the bench. And, you know, it's cool to see former players on the bench. But the things that he brings as far as confidence building and, you know, watching film and knowing what he's really talking about and being able to connect with the players on a different level than maybe, you know, some of the older coaches or, you know, things like that. I think that's that's a huge thing. For us, when I was there, Sean May was just now getting into it. Um, and he, you know, he had played really recently, so it was easy to talk to him. Kendall was there at the time, uh, so it was easy to talk to Kendall as well because obviously those guys had just played. They had just played under Coach Williams, so you have this sort of connection that you're able to – you understand the feelings and the the emotions that you have in each and every – you know, after a practice, whenever you're just sick and tired of Coach getting on you all the time for not hitting the offensive glass. Like, they understand, and they've been through that recently so you're able to connect with them on a different on a different level so I think that's huge for this team and I think that's why you're seeing the guards obviously you know they're still growing to do for you know young guys like Elliot and you know some of the younger guys but I think that's why you're seeing guys like RJ and Harrison and guys like that be able to play so well and consistent because of the player development and the things that Marcus is doing for them you know behind the scenes. That's awesome. I, I like that answer. He's been a, a great asset. He's yeah. To your point too, he's more than just the name. They didn't hire him because he's Mar- Marcus Page, the fan favorite. They hired him for all the reasons you just outlined. Let's kind of stay off the court a little bit. Justin, you've been playing basketball a long time. You got into it because you love this sport, but over the years, you've probably been exposed to the business side of basketball, playing professionally, I'm playing in, in the G League now. This question is from Jason. What have you learned about the business side of basketball um, over all the years you've been playing? Uh, I've learned a lot. I mean, I've seen the best and the worst sides of the business side. You know, the funny thing is when you grow up, you play whatever sport or you do whatever you love. Up until probably college, it stays that way. You're just doing it because you love it and it's fun and you know, that's what it is. And then you get to college and it starts to kind of turn into a job. Like, this is what I have to do. I've got to go to class. I've got to make sure my academics are right. I have to, you know, do things as far as that goes. But outside of that, your main job is to be ready to play basketball, go to practice, you know, lift and watch film, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's still, but at the same time, you're still a college student, you know, and you're still, there's really no real responsibilities. And then when I got to the NBA, uh, I saw very quickly how business and money and uh, egos and pride and all that kind of stuff combined 
can turn something so beautiful and so enjoyable and so fun and something you loved growing up into a legitimate job that maybe turns into I'm doing this just so I can provide for my family. And that's not to say that I don't play basketball because I don't love it because I do love playing basketball. It's an unbelievable job to have that I get to. That's basically my nine to five. I get to go to the gym, work out, lift, and then come home to my family. And that's it. I don't have to worry about going into the office at seven in the morning and not getting home until six. Like I don't have to worry about that. So I want to preface it with that. I don't want everybody to come at me and say, oh, but you just play basketball. Um, But at the same time, and I'll go through a little story time. At the same time, I've dealt with some things that a lot of people, uh, I don't know, mentally and physically could deal with. You know, I was drafted, obviously, in 2017 to Sacramento. Uh, You know, I had had my ups and downs within that. Um, And then I started playing pretty decently. Uh, And now I I think I've talked about it before, maybe on different podcasts, but uh, I will never forget the first time that I got traded. You know, we were playing against Houston. It was right at the trade deadline. Uh, it was 2018, so it would have been in it would have been February first couple weeks in February. I want to say is the trade deadline, and we were getting ready. I had already had one of my teammates get traded, and he was kind of in my position. So, but I hadn't heard anything yet as far as my situation. And so, for me, it was my shooting time. That's when I found out that the guy that kind of was in my position got traded. And uh, so it was like, okay, well, cool. Like, I might start tonight. I'm play quite a bit because now I'm kind of propelled into that role. So we go through warm-ups, uh, go through layup lines, all that kind of stuff. We're, I'm sitting there on the bench. I always pray right before the right before the game at the end of the bench. And I'm sitting there, and there, our, uh, our hype video basically is on the screen. And I'm sitting there. I just finished my prayer, and our head coach comes and sits right next to me. And so for me, I'm thinking, okay, he's about to tell me, hey, this is my matchup. This is, you know, this is what I'm, you know, what he needs me to do, yada, yada. And he leans over and he whispers to me, hey, you were just a part of a trade. And if anybody remembers, it was actually funny that it was two North Carolina guys, but HB Harrison with Dallas, uh, the video kind of went viral where he was sitting on the bench, but he was already like the trade had already happened, but he was sitting on the bench for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, And, I kind of laughed and I was like, wait, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, like, and you can't be on the floor because you're officially like trade, like you're officially a part of a trade. So you can't be on the floor for us. And I would never forget the emotions that hit me because it was like, man, me and my wife, we had just, obviously we didn't have kids at the time. We were in the middle of starting a nonprofit, which is there now, Gigi's Playhouse there in Sacramento. And so we had just kind of, we had found a great church, shout out Gigi's Culture banning my guy um we had just you know kind of gotten settled i guess i would say we kind of found our niche there in sacramento and to all of a sudden think that i'm gonna have to call my wife and tell her hey we're gonna have to pick up and leave and move to dallas and picking up and leaving and moving to dallas isn't okay we get a week to get everything packed up i woke up the next morning at like probably eight o'clock and i had missed calls already and it was the dallas mavericks uh, basically, she's not a dobo, but she basically handles travel and hotels and all that kind of stuff. So I called her back and she was like, hey, I've got you on a flight for 1030 to come to Dallas. And I'm like, well, I just woke up. I've got a wife. Like, I'm going to need a little bit more time than that. Like, I, I can't just pick up and leave. That means I got to pack up right now and head to the airport. Um, 
So I say all of that to say that the business side of things creates situations that normal working people wouldn't have to deal with, right? So the next day I was in Dallas, I was in a hotel room, basically with a brand new, having to, you know, get to learn a brand new team, brand new staff, brand new front office, uh, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So then you fast forward to, I probably played my best, my best basketball in the NBA there with the Mavs uh, up until that point. Um, so you fast forward about a year and a half later, I'm hanging out with my family and obviously now we live in Tennessee, but I'm hanging out with my family there we're, we were visiting, you know, her family, my wife's family at the time, and we're playing darts, having a good time, hanging out. And I get a text message from one of my friends saying, Hey bro, is it true? <laughs> They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, and he sends me a screenshot of a tweet saying that, um, a player has been traded for myself and it was to go to OKC and completely blindsided, had no idea. Mind you, we're just hanging out. I, I was not thinking at all about being traded, having to move, none of that. So go to OKC. Um, you know, unfortunately, that was when COVID really, as when COVID was kind of, it was right out of the bubble. Uh, so the COVID was still a big thing. So I had actually gotten COVID going into training camp, which kind of stunk. But, um, you know, go through that season. Don't really play a lot because obviously now you look at OKC, they're an unbelievable team. But at the time, they were trying to rebuild very young. They were trying to uh, find those pieces that they wanted to build around. And I just wasn't – I wasn't in that – I wasn't in that plan, which is obviously that's OKC's right and that's their plan. So uh, – but I wouldn't play and then I would play. And I played really well at times. But, you know, then after I would play really well, then I wouldn't play and – you know, whether that was, you know, they were trying to, you know, get a better pick that year or they just, you know, they had a different plan in mind. They wanted the young guys to play. You know, that's kind of what whatever their prerogative was. But um, played some really good ball uh, for OKC. Uh, Easter comes around and we kind of go back and forth. You know, my my agent and uh, the GM there, Sam Presley, they go back quite a while, all the way back to San Antonio and so it kind of went back and forth as far as like, hey, we're going to try to find a trade spot for him, you know, so that because obviously we know Justin doesn't want to be in this kind of situation. And um, he's still in his career where he can play and help a team and that kind of thing. So it's like, OK, cool. Well, trade line goes through. We don't there's nothing. Easter comes. And right before Easter, I actually had a conversation with um, Sam Presti, but my agent had a conversation. And basically it was, you know, I don't think we're going to trade him. We really like what he brings as far as, you know, being a teammate and, you know, what he brings, you know, coming off the bench or, you know, even as a basketball player, we like what he brings. So I don't think we're going to do anything with him. I think he's going to finish out the year with us. Come Easter, I get a phone call from my from my agent and uh, he's mad. And I'm like, what's like, what's going on? And uh, he said, I just they just called me and they said tomorrow they're going to waive you. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't. Because we had those conversations previously, I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, but that's the business of basketball. You know, obviously there's some nasty stuff that happens in corporate America and all other works of life. Um, but to have to pick up your family and leave um, or having to just tell your wife that, hey, we have to 
the place that we thought we were settling down at, we've got to pick up and we've got to leave again um, in very short notice. Uh, that's little things that we as basketball players and all pro athletes have to deal with that people don't really understand. You know, you see a lot of times people are just like, oh, well, they get paid a lot of money to play a sport as a job, pay me that money and I'm willing to deal with whatever. It's like, okay, well, if I put you and your family with two kids in this situation and, you know, Boston brings you into their office and tells you, hey, you've done everything that we've asked you to do and more and we've done, and I really don't want to have to do this, but we're going to have to trade you and waive you. I would love to see how people are able to deal with that. Um, so back to the question that was at hand, I've seen every good and bad thing of the business. And it's not to take away from how great, you know, and the benefits and everything that the NBA has brought to me and my family, because it's, I'm more than thankful. It was always a dream for me to make it to the NBA and, I've been able to play. This is year seven. Obviously, I'm in the G this year. Hopefully, something happens when it comes to the NBA. But, I mean, I've had an unbelievable career, you know, from my from my viewpoint. And, um, you know, that's kind of what my mindset is now. Uh, but at the time, it's tough, man. So, yes, the business side of things is you throw as much money that's being thrown around in the NBA and you throw, you know, people that are – in competition with each other and, and you throw some pride in there and some ego and they can get kind of nasty at times. So, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's a blessing to be here. So I can't, I can't really complain too much. I think that is a perfect segue into our last listener question. A good bonus question here for you, Justin. This is from, uh, WVL heel one. There's probably a lot of life lessons that come to mind for you from, from Coach Williams. He always did the, the quote of the day or the thought of the day before practice. So I won't ask you to like, you know, recall any of those directly like he might have you know, if he was talking to you now. But what is the most valuable life lesson you learned from Coach Williams over all the years? Maybe something to help you with some of the off-court stuff you just talked about or, or on the court or just life in general? It's another great question that we actually just was talking with. I think all of this kind of correlates. So I'm going to try to connect it all. I was just talking with one of my assistants and, you know, some of my, you know, teammates and things like that. One thing that Coach Williams taught us was accountability. And whether that was being earlier on time for meetings or, in practice on the practice plan, having everything timed out to the minute. And that's just kind of how practice ran. And so you kind of apply that to life as far as priorities and getting things done at a certain time. But I think accountability is one of the things that we, in today's society, and we'll just talk about basketball, I think you kind of, you see a lack of from the standpoint of nowadays, a coach can't really get on a player too hard or can't really say, you know, the wrong things to a player because they can just hop into the portal and go to a different spot. Right. And with the time when I was at school, you know, coach would always say like 15 minutes, if you're not 15 minutes early, then you're probably late, you know, and it was just little things like that. I don't know if I was ever late to anything, um, Maybe maybe one meeting, maybe two, something like that. I'm not obviously a perfect human being, but 
and I can't really remember a ton of guys who were late to many things, even things that didn't that didn't have Coach Williams involved, whether it was seven a.m. lifts or you know preseason conditioning or pickup. Um, I can't really I can't remember too many guys while I was there that were just late on a consistent basis, right? Or that didn't take accountability when we watched film, or you know just didn't when they were in the wrong. Didn't say, "Hey, look, I I messed up. I I gotta I gotta do better." And I think now when you look at kind of this, I don't want to say this generation because I'm obviously a part of this generation. We both are, mm-hmm. um, but when you kind of look at like how basketball is kind of going, you know, you look at a ton of guys in high school. They transfer to different different high schools. They might go to two or three different high schools within their you know four four years in high school, and now you go into college and there's like. 3,000, 4,000 people in the portal. And it's some guys who played a good amount of time, but maybe they didn't play 30 minutes as opposed to 25 minutes. And, you know, it just kind of creates an environment of not much accountability. You know, when we were at school, it was like, I was obviously blessed to be able to play a lot of minutes and start from the jump when I got there. So my experience was a little bit different. But when you didn't do what you were supposed to do, Coach Williams held you accountable to that. There was a game, my I think it was my sophomore year, where uh, Bryce and myself, coach, didn't start us against Boston College, and it was because one, I think Bryce didn't Bryce the game before didn't do something that he wanted him to do, and me, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing on the court, and so he decided to start two other people, and we came off the bench, and we actually played really well that game, and then going forward, we played better than we had before he benched us, basically. And I think there's 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 something to that from the standpoint of, okay, well, I can't just do whatever I want to do and think that, like, it's going to work out every single time, right? Like, at the end of the day, the coach is the coach, and you play under the coach. And, yeah, there are some, there are some coaches that are more players' coaches that allow the players to make certain decisions and give more freedom to certain players. Yes, that's that's how coaching happens. But I just feel like there's times now where – that accountability piece is missing. And so it creates an environment where guys think that they can just do whatever they want. They can, you know, be late to a, a meeting and think that they can still play 30 minutes or they can not show up to, you know, something that was supposed to be for the whole team and they don't have no consequences involved. And I think that's just the wrong way to teach. You know, at the end of the day, these are young people going up through college. I mean, you've got 18, 19 year olds that are trying to figure out what life is at the end of the day. And you have to teach them those ways so that now whenever you go into life, for me now, when I go into life, if I have a meeting I'm supposed to go to, then I'm going to try to be there early or at least on time every single time. And if I'm late, I'm going to fess up to it. Hey, my bad. I got stuck in traffic. I had to do something with my family. My bad. It won't happen again. And there's just certain things that now in life, it has come from that accountability piece that coach Williams had taught us throughout our entire college careers that helps us in life. Um, And at the end of the day, I think that's really the main goal of a coach is to try to prepare a player for life as opposed to just basketball. So I think that's kind of the biggest uh, thing that coach taught us. And it wasn't just coach Williams either. It was coach Rob. It was HD at the time. Uh, It was Sean. It was all the coaching staff. Uh, CB, shout out to CB, um, 
it was the whole coaching staff. Like there was a certain standard that was upheld. And if you weren't doing that, then you got to figure something else out. So, uh, you know, shout out to them for preparing me and I'll, you know, I don't want to speak for my former teammates, but I'm sure, you know, obviously being around Theo, we were just talking about it. You know, it's helped us in life, you know, and now when you have a family and, you know, you're going through the business side of things and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's next and what am I doing? And that kind of thing, it prepared us for that for sure. We appreciate all of the questions. These are some awesome questions. And also, Justin, thank you for all the awesome answers in this special edition of the uh, Shooting It Straight podcast. North Carolina plays Friday tomorrow against Charleston Southern, and then they start ACC play at Pittsburgh on Tuesday, January 2nd. So we'll be back next week to talk more about both of those games and get into the, the meat, the heart of ACC play. Uh, Justin, take us out. Any thoughts about tomorrow's game or any just final holiday thoughts uh, for us to close out the episode? No, I mean, I think tomorrow's game is going to be a good game to get the legs back a little bit. Um, obviously, they've probably been practicing and working out, but it's still been the Christmas holidays. I had probably a few days to be able to go back home and hang out with family and things like that. So, you know, hopefully they're able to, you know, kind of get those legs back, get back into a rhythm like they were before Christmas break and finals and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think we as fans, we have to kind of be ready for maybe that first half to be a little bit more, uh, you know, a little, I'll say sloppy, but a little less fluid than uh, it was before break. But at the same time, like we talk about early on in this show, I think sky's the limit for this team. And if these guys play consistent and they play it to their role, they play to what they can do, their strengths for this whole team to be really good, each individual player has to play to that. And if they're able to do that, I think they can be really good. So I'm excited to see as, as you know, the first game tomorrow and then going into ACC play. And, you know, once again, to everybody, uh, happy holidays. Everybody enjoy New Year's. Enjoy your family. Family's the most important thing, family and friends. So enjoy that time. Make sure to hug and love on all of them. Um, because if it wasn't for, a lot of the family, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in now. So um, I hope everybody has a great holidays. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to y'all soon. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 